And I just want to add one announcement to those that uh, Caleb mentioned as well, and that is on the 28th of April, it would be fantastic to see you all here because there's actually going to be five baptisms here in this church. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, Potentially six. So we've definitely confirmed five, potentially a sixth one there. And so that'll be really exciting to be able to celebrate baptisms and new life here in this church. So it's great, and I think it speaks volumes uh, as, as a parent, I'm very, very proud to do that, but it speaks volumes of this church to see new life happen here as well. So, And for you guys to be all a part of it. Yes, Fran? Would you like to tell us their names so that we can pray? Would love to. So there is Lockie Featherston and Timmy Featherston and Caleb Ship and Kira Ship and Xander Ship. Uh, and then potentially... We're not sure if it will be, and the name escapes me right now, Gavin, thank you, Gavin um, Bryant, thank you very much, Uh, may be getting baptised as well. So he certainly expressed an interest, uh, but we want to make sure that he runs through and understands what it is that baptism is before he does get baptised there as well. So there's there's the six. So my three kids, Ben's three kids, uh, two kids, two kids, and then Josh's kids as well. Sorry, that's right. Uh, but, you know, and it's really important that we make this clear as well. This is completely their decision. Uh, we've made it very clear that, that it's got to be their faith that they're, that they're growing into, that they can't live with us, and, and that they're not to do this just to please us, but this is their faith that they're responding to. And, and I think that's really exciting. And they all went, yeah, no, that's, we want to do this. Effectively, they've said we want to die to ourselves and we want to live for Christ. And, and what great news. And as a parent, I don't think there's any better news than that. So... Uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at um, a couple of passages in John, and it comes from a communion talk that I did a little while ago, and it's just been on my heart ever since, and so um, I'm expanding a lot on it a little bit, and we're looking at the oneness that we have with the Father, and it's such an exciting topic, and there seems to be a theme running with the service. Uh, Lockie was talking about who we are and seeing who we truly are, and, and Ben followed on with that theme as well, and, and hopefully by the end of it you'll truly know who Jesus has redeemed you to be, because that is who you are indeed. Not how you see yourself, but how the Father sees yourself. That's who you are. And so before we get into it, will you pray with me? Father, I just want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you that it was your desire for our redemption, for us to be redeemed. It was your will, and Jesus went about and walked dedicatingly to the cross. He saw us, he saw our need, and he saw who we could be, and he redeemed our worth and our value. And Father, I just pray today that the words that we speak will be heard, words that resound in us and remind us of who we are, and teach us who we are in Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. In John chapter 12, it says this. Let me find it. In fact, before we get into that, John, John chapter 12 it is, verse 23 to 27. Lockie talked about when we look in the mirror, who do we see? In Scripture, um, in certain version in the New King James, it says, when you look in the mirror, that we actually reflect the glory of God. That's who we are. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, when you look in the mirror, you're the reflection of the glory of God. That's actually who you are. How good is it? So when we look in the mirror, 
you actually can see Jesus himself because he is the glorified one. And that's pretty exciting, isn't it? And just to ram home Lockie's point about who do you see when you look in the mirror? Because he sees his glory being reflected back to you. So now flicking along to John chapter 12, verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bathsheba in Galilee, with a request. I'm taking my glasses off so I can see. So they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And so here we have these Gentiles coming up saying to the disciples, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. These people who were not the Jews, who who weren't a part of the chosen people, came up to celebrate the Passover, to celebrate there. And they came to the disciples and they said, we want to see Jesus. What a great precursor for all of the Gentiles in the world who have been able to see Jesus since then because Jesus went to the cross. And this is Jesus' response. He said to them, Jesus replied in verse 23, he said, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. That's a fascinating statement. In his response to the Gentiles saying, we want to see Jesus, he says, yes, the hour of the Son of Man has come for him to be glorified. What's he talking about? He's actually talking at that moment about going to the cross and being lifted up high. He's actually talking about being stripped naked, being beaten beyond human likeness. He's actually talking about um, having being whipped. He's actually talking about having a crown of thorns and being hung on a tree. And it says in Scripture that anyone hung on a tree will be cursed. And he says to them, he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You see, we look at it and we think, how is that glory? And yet Jesus, because he sees things through the Father's perspective, he said, I'm going to be glorified in this moment because I am going to fulfill the will of God. In Galatians chapter 1, it says, it was the Father's will that we be redeemed. And effectively, Jesus put his hand up and said, I will go. I will go and redeem. Why? And we're going to look at this a bit more. Why did he go and redeem us? Why was he glorified by hanging on that cross? The most glorified moment in in history was him hanging there. Because he redeemed something of such great value. He says in verse 24, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This is an amazing statement. And coming from a country town, which is a farming community, we understand that if you have a wheat, kernel of wheat, and it's growing, it is a single piece of wheat. But if it dies, then the seeds are put back in the ground. Many wheat grow up. Now, if a kernel of wheat dies and is re-harvested back into the ground, what springs forth? More wheat, doesn't it? It reproduces after its own kind. Is that fair? So if wheat dies, it produces more wheat. The point Jesus here is making, he goes, I am wheat. And I'm going to pour out my life and I'm going to die on the cross and I'm going to be glorified. And I'm going to go to the ground because I'm going to die. And what will spring forth will be reproduced in my image, in my likeness. That is who we are. We have been redeemed that we may reflect the glory of God and be in the image of Jesus Christ. 
It's interesting to note that in the beginning, way back, Adam and Eve were created, and it says in Genesis chapter 1 that they were made in the image of God. And yet at the fall, they lost the image of God. It was taken away from them because selfishness came and sin entered them and they lost the image of God. And since then, we have all been, all of humans have been created in the image of Adam. We've been reproduced in Adam's image, not in God's image. Not in the Father's image because he lost his likeness, his image to the Father at the fall through sin. And so every man and woman and child since then has been reproduced in the image of Adam because he lost that image of God within it. What's also interesting in Isaiah, it says that Jesus would come and he would be beaten beyond human likeness. Jesus came in the image of man and he was beaten beyond human image. Why is it important that he was beaten beyond human image? that he lost the image of man, that we may gain the image of God. That we may be redeemed. That which Adam was lost would be regained in him losing the image of man because he was beaten beyond the likeness of man, that we may may gain that which was lost to us. And yet it says in Scripture that we're not just in the image of God, but in the image of Jesus Christ himself. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. As Jesus is in the glorified, resurrected body, so are we in this world. That, when you look in the mirror, is who you see, who the Father sees. You are in the image, the likeness of Jesus Christ himself. He died, which is why it was the most glorified moment, because in his death, we get to receive by faith the gift, which is a gift of sonship, which is a gift of regaining that which was lost, our very value and worth, which the Father desired to create us to be. You see, Jesus Christ didn't just die on the cross to forgive us of sins. That's a bold statement. But scripture makes it very, very clear. Jesus Christ went to the cross to redeem that was lost by Adam. And in doing so, he removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west, that we may be called sons of God. In Galatians 4.4, it says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sonship. And we who are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into their hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer servants, but a son. And if you are a son, then you are an heir of God through Jesus Christ. We have, through Jesus Christ, received the spirit of sonship. We have, through Jesus Christ, received the Holy Spirit, which cries out, Abba, Father, Daddy. And our spirit connects with the Holy Spirit that we too may call the Father in heaven, our Father, our Dad. Jesus teaches us how to pray. And he says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What is the name that is glorified? What is the name that is honored? Is it Yahweh? Is it Jehovah? No, it's the name Father. 
It's the intimate relationship that we have with the Father, that Jesus Christ died on the cross, that we, our value and our worth may be restored to us, that we may enter into his presence as children, as sons and daughters of the living God, with the complete value and worth that we may see, he may see us as Jesus, or as the Father sees Jesus, him in us and us in him. The word redemption or to redeem actually means, one of the meanings means, by payment of a price to recover from the power of another. You see, Jesus Christ came back to redeem, to buy back, to purchase that which Adam lost. And yet in Christ we have so much more. But he brought back the image of God in us. And in Ephesians, it says that we've been redeemed to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We've been made like him through knowing the Father, through knowing the vastness of the love of Jesus Christ. We have the fullness of the Father within us by knowing Jesus Christ and being united in faith with him and seeing things as he is. We have the fullness of Christ in us. And he gave us the spirit that we, as wisdom and revelation, that we may know the Father. Because without the Holy Spirit, we cannot know him as Father, which is what Galatians is saying. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? That Jesus came to that point, that moment in life, to be glorified, to be hung on a tree, to die, that he may reproduce us in his image. And Jesus says a little bit further on in verse 27, he says, now my heart is troubled because he's man. And he knows what it's going to cost him. And he says, and what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came. For this very, I came to this very reason for this purpose. Father, glorify your name. He realizes that in him doing the will of the Father, that it's going to bring glory to the Father. And yet in him being lifted up, he himself will be glorified. It's an amazing truth that in his death, we get made like him. And I want to focus on one, just one of the things in which we're made like him. In John chapter 14, just over a couple of pages, in verse 10, Jesus says, in response to him saying, I am the way, the truth, and the, and the life, and he's going to be with his father, he says to his disciples, don't you believe that I am in the father and that the father is in me? Jesus is saying that I am so connected with the father so intimate that I am in him and he is in me. I have an intimacy with my Father in heaven that no one else has, a closeness, a connectedness that we are one. His thoughts, he says, are my thoughts. His ways are my ways. I do nothing other than what I see the Father doing. All of these are scriptures. There's a oneness and intimacy there. I do nothing that which I do not hear from the Father. What an amazing connection that Jesus had with the Father. Wouldn't you like to have that oneness that Jesus Christ had with the Father? Well, if you turn over to John chapter 20, 14, verse 20, he says this to his disciples. He says, on the, that day, on the day that you receive the Holy Spirit, he says, on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Jesus actually says, that I am one with my Father. And on the day that you receive the Holy Spirit, he goes, you're going to realize that you're in me and I'm in you and together we are in the Father. 
that you can have the same oneness, the same intimacy that I share with the Father. That will be yours too when you receive the Holy Spirit. I will lay down my life and I will be glorified that you may have a oneness, a connection with the Father that you could only dream of. You'll be like me in my relationship with the Father, he is saying. When Jesus redeemed us, when he brought us back, when he gave us that which was lost, the value and the worth, we become sons of the Father. We have the same oneness with the Father as Jesus did when he walked on the earth. We have the ability to think as the Father does, see as he does, love like him. He transforms us completely. We are completely made new. In Romans chapter 12, it actually says that the thing that holds us back is our mind. Because it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because we cannot comprehend in the natural that which Jesus achieved on the cross. We cannot comprehend, we cannot understand who he has made us to be by hanging on the cross and receiving. Because he's made us completely new. Because we've died to self. And as I said before, we're going to have some baptisms here. And baptism literally represents the death our death, the lying down, being buried, dying to ourself and our selfishness and our self-centeredness and saying, no longer am I going to live from that perspective because Jesus has redeemed me and I arise a new creation. I arise new, made in his image, in his likeness, with the oneness with the Father and I now choose to do the will of the Father and his and him alone. We were at another church at Guntree and a friend of ours, Paul Lowe, was speaking and they used an illustration and, and they got Timmy, Xander and Caleb to come up front and Xander represented man or us and they had Caleb representing the Holy Spirit and had Caleb standing behind Xander and Timmy in front representing Jesus and showing how the oneness, how the Holy Spirit and Jesus surround us. And that's where he stopped the image. This here says that, and then the three of them, Holy Spirit, Jesus, and man, or and Xander, are then placed into the Father. We are completely and utterly surrounded by God. If you cut me open right now, and you look through the eyes of the Father, you will see the fullness of Christ, the Holy Spirit, in me. If I stand in front of a mirror, the reflection will be that of Jesus Christ because he surrounds me because I'm in him. And yet at the same time, I'm in the Father. Can you see what Jesus has done? Completely redeemed us. I have nothing to brag about here. And I'm not saying that you necessarily see me like that, but the Father does. And it's how the Father sees me is who I am. And he sees me as his son completely transformed in his image he thinks so highly of us he thinks so highly of our worth and our value that the father did not want to spend all of eternity without us in him that's eternal life people eternal life is to know the father is to know god creator is your dad because when you do you stand under him completely transformed he is love and when you know the Father, you become love. And no longer do you walk in this world. This is the ultimate goal of the transformation. No longer do we walk in this world trying to receive love because we've already become love. We now wake up every day to be love through his love in us. 
That's a profound thought, isn't it? We no longer exist trying as Christians, as ones in Ephesians that says that we derive our name from him, as people who derive their name from the Father. We no longer seek to be loved because he loves us and we now get to love and to be love for everyone else that we encounter. That's amazing. In John chapter 17, Jesus carries on with this theme and, and he's just he spent time praying for himself and then he spends time praying for his disciples. And then he starts and he says in verse 20, John 17 verse 20, he says, My prayer is not for them alone, not just for the disciples alone. I pray also for all those who will believe in me through their message, that, in, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you were in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. His prayer is that we will know the unity and the oneness that we have with God himself. His prayer is that we will comprehend, that we will understand how fully transformed we are, that we can call him Father, that we have a oneness with the Father through Jesus Christ. And he specifically prays for that purpose that we would know. And then he says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In John chapter 2, he talks about a religious leader going up to Jesus saying, hey, we know you're from God. And then he goes on and asks questions because no one can do that which you do. And Jesus says, the world will know that the Father sent me when you and I understand and are transformed by the oneness that we have with the Father. A unity, not only with each other, but a unity and a oneness with the Father through Jesus Christ. I have given them, he says in verse 22, I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. This is a oneness between us and God, us and the Father, us and Jesus Christ, us and the Holy Spirit. It's specifically he is praying that we will understand the oneness that we have so that we don't feel the need to go up to someone else and say, hey, can you pray for me? And I'm not saying that praying for other people is bad, but so that you and I can see that we have direct access to the Father and we can go to him and say, hey, Dad, I thank you that you love me and I just need you in my life right now in this area. And Holy Spirit, I just pray that, that you'll guide me through this in the midst of it because we have that oneness. You know, I don't have to go up to Sonny who's been a minister for so many years and say, Sonny, you, you're closer to God because you've been a minister or to someone else because you're older. You know, the kids don't have to come up to me and say, hey, Dad, can you pray for me? Although it's an honour to pray for other people, but we realise that we have a oneness with the Father that we can take any and all of our problems to Him and we can go in a spirit of praise and thankfulness because I'm connected to Him and so are you. It's a pretty amazing concept, isn't it? Then he carries on in verse 25 and 26. He says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. This, Jesus was very, very intentional that we understand 
that our place is in Jesus and he is in us and we are in the Father and we are one with the Godhead. We are in him and we are his children and we're one and he wants us to know the unity and the connection and he wants us to establish us in that faith that when we come to him, we're not coming and speaking to a far off, to a distant God. We're coming to him because we've been redeemed completely. We find ourselves immersed in him. And he is close to our heart. In fact, he takes it even further. I've got time, I'll I'll speak on this very, very quickly. In Ephesians 5, he's talking about husbands and wives and husbands love yourselves and wives submit to your husbands and talking about the oneness and the relationship. And then in Ephesians 5 verse 31, he says, For this reason, a man will leave his wife Uh, Sorry, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So there's a unity between the husband and the wife, really closeness. And then he says in verse 32, this is a profound mystery, this one flesh. But I am talking about Christ and the church. He actually says, but I'm talking about the Christ and the church, the oneness that we can experience as husband and wife. The reason that man will leave his father and mother is to create a oneness with his wife. He goes, in the same way. When you come to me, there'll be a oneness, a one flesh between you and me. Because Christ no longer lives in the flesh. But you and I do. And he lives in us. And there is a oneness and a connectedness and a unity. Something that nothing can get in between of. Because he and I are one. We are the same. We reflect his image and his glory. That's how the Father sees you. And he wants to transform your mind to help you understand that which Christ redeemed, your value and your worth that was lost back at the fall, that you may live in it and rise up through the power of the strength of the Holy Spirit, which is in you. Because he says, reckon yourself dead and alive in Christ Jesus. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? We've got a good, good God. It was the Father's will that Jesus come and redeem us and buy us back for that oneness and that likeness and that unity because he wanted us in him. We're one with the Father. We're one with Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives in us. We live in Jesus and together we all live in the Father. That's amazing. Will you pray with me? Father, I just thank you. I thank you for your desire for me to be redeemed. I thank you for your desire for Jesus to come back and buy back my value and my worth. To restore me that I may have a connection with you, Father. An intimate connection that you're not some far off God, some distant God, but I live in you and my place is in you through Jesus Christ. That I now live through him because my life is found in him. Father, I thank you that it's your desire that I know you intimately and to know you and your desire for me that your will becomes my will and that I do nothing other than what the Father says. Father, may we all have that relationship. Draw us into it that we may understand your will for our lives and through the power given to us in the Holy Spirit that we will walk in your love, in your unity, in your will. And reflect your glory as it says. Jesus, we just thank you that through your blood, through your body, we have a oneness with the Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.